Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Good morning, I'm Mike Moses, lead pastor of Lake Forest Church, Huntersville, and I'm a rookie. I just started my job, I think. Um, it's good to see you all. I'm actually founding pastor here. It's good to be with you today, uh, everyone, and there is some, uh, uh, some comfort just even elbow bumping a, an old friend here in the front row. It's good to see some of you today here in person. I want you to know, those of you worshiping at home, uh, if you'll take your coffee, these folks didn't get coffee, uh, so you've got the bonus there. Take your coffee or your veggie juice, and, uh, and on the count of three, let's, let's have a sip together, because we're live here at 10, 16 a.m.-ish uh, Sunday morning. One, two, three. A few of you. <laughs> Hello, good to see you. Um, and hey, while uh, there are some Lake Forest folks who felt comfortable worshiping here today, and I'm looking forward to, I'll be out in the road out there and, and with distance, would love to say hi to any of you. And I appreciate you all understanding that the vast majority of our congregation and those who worship with us around the country and around the world are worshiping online. And so I'll, I'll be speaking with you and you guys will understand that. Can you give me a head nod that you won't? Feel slighted. Uh, then I'm going to speak with it. We, uh, less than 10% of our congregation responded to in-person worship this morning and this evening. So we're glad for those of you who are eager uh, for your own reasons to be here, and you you trusted that our practices would be safe. Uh, and we're glad for those of you worshiping at home. Um, okay, so today's God story. Things are dire for God's people. And by the way, I had a laptop malfunction this morning. So I'm preaching off of my phone. Let me know how that works. We do everything on our phone. They're like a, if you're a Trekkie like me from back in the day, they're basically a tricorder. We shouldn't even call them a phone. That's the last thing I use it for. I don't like to talk on the phone. Okay, today's God's story. See, having y'all in person will tempt me to just talk off script. Um, Which makes my wife, Angie, so nervous. She does not stay tuned for the Q&A. Uh, she's like, you haven't written any of that down? I'm, I cannot watch that. I'm going to go make lunch. Okay, today's God's story. Wayne's world, Wayne's world. Okay, today's God's story. Things are dire for God's people who are attempting to follow God in the story. You see, in the beginning, God created the cosmos, the world, plants, animals, and people. And God said it's good. It's all very good. But he gave human beings the precious ability of choice to love or not love. And we human beings broke our privileged relationship with God, our sentient spiritual relationship with God. We broke that. And when we broke it, we broke our relationship with one another, our relationship with creation by stepping off God's path to follow our own, in the words of the prophet Isaiah. That's called sin. Just as all of us today, we do it. Our first ancestors in that day said, God, not thy will be done, my will be done. And so humanity has experienced separation from God, physically, spiritually, relationally, and we've experienced brokenness inside of ourselves, brokenness with one another, and brokenness with the creation itself. 
but God. But God. In the words of the gospel writer John, so loved the world. He began to make the story better and move toward a rescue. And he started, as recorded in the book of Genesis, and now today we're in Exodus chapter 1, if you want to open your Bible app. He started revealing his name, his character, and his intent to save and bless all people of the earth, all nations, starting specifically with Abraham and Abraham's descendants, whom today we know as the Israelites. And at one point, as the Israelites, the the beginning, Abraham's family is just starting to inherit the promise of becoming a great people. There's just not that many of them. And as they're learning about this good God, the one true God in the story, Abraham's descendants, Joseph and others, went to live in Egypt because of a famine in the promised land of Israel. And they were shown favor in Egypt until today in God's story of God's people in Exodus chapter 1. They were an immigrant minority, to use the phrase historically, who they were sociologically in Egypt. And they were an immigrant minority who was initially welcomed by the host majority culture. But their host culture turned hostile to the Israelites, the ancestors of Abraham and Joseph. And now it's about the year 1500 before Christ. And today's scripture chronicles a dire moment in the God story of God's covenant people, Israel. And it has something to say about our God story here today. Our summer sermon series is God Stories. And we're talking about the way God used some lesser known people in the Bible to further his own story and the story of his salvation ultimately through Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. And each week in this series, we're choosing to tell a modern God story. And I'm going to save that for a little ways into the sermon. And today we're going to learn that not just major characters in God's story in the Bible matter. Like the major characters, the Apostle Paul, King David, Mary the mother of Jesus. Not only do they matter, but minor characters matter too. And you may sometimes feel like a minor character in God's story. I often do. But God is writing an amazing story in history, including each of our lives, including the minor characters. And so... Bring that sense of, am I a minor character? Bring that with you as we look at the story of Shifra and Pua today. Would you please all try to say that with me? Shifra and Pua. One more time. Shifra and Pua. I'm curious, how many of you, few people here live today, know who Shifra and Pua are in the Bible? Anybody know? Anybody ever? Zero hands. Those of you, I wonder how many of you have your hands raised at home. Okay, so it was funny to me that Jeff earlier said, get ready for an awesome sermon from Pastor Mike. He ain't heard my sermon. Uh, I just, Jeff, I appreciate your trust in me. It will at least be informative because right now you know nothing, Aiden, about Shifra and Pua, and you're going to at least know something about them. You ready? Hey, stand with me, and let's read God's Word aloud from Exodus 1. We're going to start with verse 6. Let's stand. I'll stand when the screen comes on. There we go. Now Joseph, that's the descendant of Abraham, and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful, and they multiplied greatly. 
increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. This is in Egypt, friends. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians, again, worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, here they are, whose names were, friends, Shifra and Pua. When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Would you reread that sentence at home and here in the room with me? The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. May God bless the reading of his word, the studying of it, and even more as you and I engage it personally and apply it to our lives. You may be seated. At home, you may be seated too. In your little fuzzy slippers, in your bathrobe, sitting there, chilling. This is about a passage about following God in the hard times, following God when things are not going well. Have you ever <laughs> experienced a time like that? <laughs> hard times, things maybe not going well, friends. Anyone? Bueller, Bueller. We're kind of all in a time like that in some way or another. Will a time like today, the difficult times, will this time push us further away from Jesus and the worship of God or closer to him? Will a hard time solidify our hope in God through Jesus or weaken it is the question Exodus chapter 1 raises for us. Now, notice in our passage of the relationship between the minority Hebrews the immigrant population, Hebrews, and the majority culture, Egyptians, deteriorated fast. Verse 11 told us, and if you've got your Bible app open, you can scroll back through it. It says they, put, they were afraid of them, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. See, Egypt grew suspicious of what these immigrants might do to them, and they grew greedy for what the immigration, immigrant population might do for them, and so enslaved them. Friends, when we read this passage, once again, we agree with the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. There is nothing new under the sun, is there? And you see in this chapter, God is always on the side of the oppressed, the underdog. He's on the side of freedom and dignity for every 
child of God that he has created. Now, the Israelites had a high birth rate and multiplied. And verse 13 says that the Egyptians came to dread them and work them ruthlessly, attempting to drive the Israelites to despair. But the opposite happened. God's people did not despair of life. They created more life. And they kept creating more life and more life. So they multiplied. They followed God in a hard time and they valued life. The enslavement did not crush the Hebrew spirit, just like enslavement did not ever crush the spirit of the African population brought to these shores in a similar act of mass oppression in history. So the Egyptian pharaoh decides he's going to turn up the volume in a sinister way. Verse 15 and 16, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose name were, let's say it again, everyone, Shifra and Pua, bless you, Uh, when you are... (laughs) Uh, Thank you to Michael Flake for that joke. Uh, When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him, but if it's a girl, let her live. Shifra and Pua are described as Hebrew midwives. Most commentators agree they were probably supervisors of midwives because this was a very large population at this point. And the key is what Shifra and Pua are asked to do in their jobs, and it's this. Kill the baby Hebrew boys as you do your job of a midwife. This is a sinister way to control a minority immigrant or enslaved population. We must take care, American Christians, that we do not fall prey to anything that would lead us to support dealing in any pagan, immoral manner with refugees or immigrants who come to our shores or over our borders. It's a serious moral matter to God, who is a pro-life God. Now, this request comes in from the Pharaoh. Pharaoh is in charge. Who wants to be Shifra and Pua right now who just got this order? Not me. Here's how they respond, verse 17. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do. They let the boys live. Why did Shifra and Pua refuse to enact Pharaoh's order as supervisors? Well, the Bible author says, quote, they feared God. As Michael Flake says, that does not mean they were deathly afraid of God. It does mean they lived in awe of God, in humility toward God. They saw God as central to what was happening in the universe, that God wasn't a part of their story, that they were part of God's story. This is what Shifra and Pua knew. So they were going to play by God's rules. They weren't saying, God, I need you to play by my rules in order for me to worship you. No, there is a God, and I will play by God's rules. And the way the Bible talks about this is that these women had a right relationship with God. They related to God rightly, which is what you and I are seeking because we're here worshiping as God created us to do once every seven days. Those of you worshiping at home or you're in a home worship gathering, I saw a picture of a cool one in somebody's pergola. Y'all need to have me over sometime to that pergola when you're having an outdoor fireplace, fire night with uh, s'mores. That looked pretty sweet. Do not give up worshiping every seven days. That's the creational rhythm for a human being to be healthy. And so, they were, the God is central to them. They are living in awe and humility before their creator, which dictates their response. 
Even though Pharaoh was not somebody to be played with, somebody to be ignored in the Egyptian tradition, people were taught to believe that Pharaoh was synonymous with the gods. He was divine and supreme, and to disobey Pharaoh meant death. However, in the words of one African-American preacher, I did kind of some research on how have uh, African-American churches approached this passage in the past because of their deep identification with uh, Moses' liberation of the Israelites from slavery. And, and so I did some research this week, and in the words of one African-American pastor, however, Shifra and Pua knew of a God who was there before Pharaoh came, and a God who would be there when Pharaoh was dead and buried. Pharaoh would only make it as far as the Red Sea, but God, El Shaddai, Yahweh, is the one who made the Red Sea where Pharaoh still lies at the bottom. God still sits high on the throne. Pharaoh ended up drowned while God ended up crowned. Man proposes, but God disposes. Can I get an amen in your living room and in, purpose, in person? <laughs> but in this moment, Pharaoh is not happy. He's not yet at the bottom of the Red Sea, which happens later. This, these minor characters, Shifra and Pua, are the only reason the major character, Moses, was birthed into this world and able to lead the Israelites into freedom. Pharaoh's not happy, and he calls, hey, Shifra and Pua, why, why did you not kill those babies? And then the midwives answered him. It's in verse 19, if you're looking in your own scripture. Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. <laughs> uh, uh, our Lake Forest Davidson pastor, Michael Flake, preached on this passage, and at this point, uh, after reading what Shifra and Pua said, hey, the Hebrew midwives, they're just so vigorous. They have their babies before we even get there. He pulled out his phone and started texting. Note to self, don't buy stock in companies who make epidurals for ancient Hebrew women. <laughs> the key to what we can learn from Shifra and Pua in a difficult time is a phrase that's repeated twice in the passage. The midwives feared God. They lived in awe humility, worship, submission, obedience to God. That's the big takeaway. They were not the God of their own lives. They did not view themselves that way nor live that way. Therefore, they were not able to be swayed by anything other than God's Word and God's will. They yielded the center of their own decisions to God, and it helped them navigate this most agonizing of decisions so, you and me, us minor characters in God's story, what do we learn from these two other minor characters in Exodus 1 about how to discover and live out our role in God's story? A few things. We'll see how many of those things we get to. Number one, in all circumstances, don't lose sight of God's higher calling. This is the hinge point of Exodus 1, and if you turn it off now, you've got the main point. To whom am I ultimately accountable? To whom are you ultimately accountable? Answer the question. To myself, to Pharaoh, to my boss, to majority opinion, to my party, to the PR machine, to whom am I ultimately accountable? And when Pharaoh, who holds these women's lives in his hands, tells them to kill the Hebrew male babies, what did they do? Did they do what feels right? Did they say, well, he's the boss. I mean, he told me to, so I... I have no responsibility in carrying out the order, as did many in Germany in the early 20th century. 
Did they say, what's the majority opinion? Let me take an opinion poll. Put it on social media. Your bosses, what they did is they shifted their sights higher than that. They sought God's counsel. And the truth is, your bosses, our governmental leaders, our majority opinion will ask us to do a lot of things. Some things we should do, some things we should resist. And the way to decide is, what does God say about this? To be people of God's Word. And I don't know how God's Word had been transmitted to them at this point in God's history, but it had been. But we have the Old and New Testaments, and we are to be people of that because God has spoken very clearly. Now, because the God, the, the, the Bible contains God's insight into any number of situations. It doesn't address all situations, but it contains God's insight into our lives. The Bible often paints a picture of what life is supposed to be and invites us to follow Jesus into that reality, co-painting that reality in our own life, into our own God story, but with the power of the Holy Spirit. So, in an agonizing situation where it seems no win, we know what the authority thinks. We know what I think, but Shifra and Pua ask a transforming question, which is most important the more agonizing your situation or moment is. What does God think? And if God is at the center of my life, that's what I'll do. It's why we organize all of our community groups, our remix groups, our Kidtropolis groups, every online format, our Welcome 101 class that'll start up next month. Again, we organize it around what God has said in God's Word, not what we think, and we apply it to today. And so, if today or someday in the future you invite God into that place, into the center of your life, then you start with what God values and thinks. Maybe you're ready to live a God-centered life, and you invite God into the center of your life by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and trust that He's the Son of God and He's your Savior, and you ask His forgiveness, and you want to live as a God-centered person, and then you start every decision with what God values and what God thinks. It gives us a new courage, like Shifra and Pua, a new center of gravity for agonizing situations not unlike the times we're in. And usually, like these two women, we don't make those decisions by ourselves. They, they must have decided in concert together. And we talk it other, over with other God-fearers, especially those who know God's Word better than ourselves. That's number one. Shifra and Pua made an incredible difference. Can you say their name again with me one more time? One, two, three. Shifra and Pua. Without them, Moses would not have been born and raised, by, raised up by God to lead the Israelites out of slavery, slavery and into the promised land as the covenant people of God. There have been other strong women of color through history who have also defied unjust laws and governments. We all have strong women in our lives. We've experienced the strength of a feminine strength and courage like we see here and Shifra and Pua, out of love for humanity and for love of God. And that brings me to today's modern God story. It's, a, it's, it's sort of modern. I want to talk for a moment about Harriet Tubman, an American hero. Harriet Tubman, I don't know about you. I just knew her name as a Black History Month hero. That's what I knew about Harriet Tubman until recently. I'm, I'm, that's, just, that's just me. That's all I knew. A hero for black people to celebrate in February. That's cool, but you don't talk about it in school, but Black History Month started after I was in school, so that's all I knew. I was like, I, she must have done some good things. 
and earned being a black hero. That, that was, that's probably what that was sounding like in my head. And I'm a history guy. I didn't know anything more than her until, here's a picture of her. Angie and I watched the movie with the, the lead actress there next to an actual picture of Harriet Tubman from the mid, late 1800s. Until Angie and I watched a movie based on her life release this winter. It's just titled Harriet. Man, I hope you'll watch it. I followed it up with my own historical research. Wow. Harriet Tubman is not just an African-American History Month hero. She's an American hero, a Christian hero. In fact, if I were a Roman Catholic priest right now, I'd be nominating her for sainthood. But we don't do that as Presbyterians. This is important American history. She's a hero if you read her story. She's got the grit and resourcefulness of Davy Crockett, who I grew up reading about. I can remember checking out David Crackett and Daniel Boone biographies when I was in third grade from the school library because I was a geek like that. She had the resourcefulness of, of Davy Crockett and, and Daniel Boone. She had uh, the tracking skills of Daniel Boone and the moral steadfastness of Abraham Lincoln. And the personal relationship with God, well, like my other hero you've heard me mention before, St. Patrick. Do you know that in the literature, God spoke most clearly to St. Patrick through dreams and visions? That seems to be how God spoke clearly to direct Harriet Tubman through visions and dreams and language that's so similar to my historical mentor, St. Patrick. Well, Harriet Tubman knew the law of the land in America in the mid-1800s. The law of the land said Africans were property and not people. But Harriet Tubman not only knew the law, she knew the Lord. And the Lord had given her visions that African people were not property. Harriet Tubman escaped her own enslavement through the Underground Railroad with the help of white Christians in the Quaker denomination. And she made it to Philadelphia. And from there, she spent the rest of her life violating that unjust law and risking her life just like Shifra and Pua by time after time venturing back south and leading other enslaved Americans to freedom, like a modern-day Moses. And she did it out of love for God and love for people. In the words of another African-American preacher, the, if I had not done my research in black preaching on this passage, I would never have connected Harriet Tubman to this passage. And yet it is the perfect, beautiful modern God story connections. So in the words of another African-American preacher, the law of the land said one thing, but the Lord of all said something else in God's word. The law said Africans were born to be slaves, but the Lord said Africans were born to be free children of God. And watch out how you treat my children, because God said he will not be mocked, and he will bring justice. End quote. Oh, no, that's not end quote. Harriet Tubman knew man's law, but thank God she also knew the Lord. The Shifra, like Shifra and Pua, she was a God-fearing woman of color. She put her life in danger for what she believed based on her relationship with the Lord and a desire for righteousness, end quote. Last little bit about her. When the Civil War began, Harriet Tubman took work for the Union Army, first as a cook, then as a nurse, and then as an armed scout and a spy. I told you, she was crafty. She knew stuff, man. Uh, and she was the first woman to lead an armed expedition in the U.S. Army in the Civil War. She guided the raid at Combahee Ferry, which liberated more than 700 slaves. That is a kick t 
pale woman of God right there. That's our modern-day God story. May we have the courage to use the skills and the situation God has put us in to bring out God's righteousness in our day, in our time, in our way. Now, she remained illiterate to her death, and after the Civil War, she toured parts of the country speaking on behalf of women's right to vote. So if any of you women at home or here, you're like, that's a good thing. Like, we should be able to vote. Dang it, you know? Uh, she she uh, was an ally of Susan B. Anthony. Last thing, in 1896, Harriet Tubman purchased land adjacent to her home and opened the Harriet Tubman Home for Aged and Indigent Colored People. And there's this quote from a white businessman named Thomas Garrett certifying the, the vibrant faith of Ms. Tubman. Uh, he was a successful businessman in the energy industry. He used his money, his position, his whiteness, and his faith in Jesus to be an ally to Harriet Tubman to help her mission happen, and he, made the, he was the last stop on the Underground Railroad. Uh, I read his story, Thomas Garrett, this week, and I wept over my desire to live up to being such a man in God's story in my day. I'm going to tell his story, Thomas Garrett, as a Christian business person being fully pro-life during slavery times. I'm going to tell that story in our podcast this week. So this brings us to point number two, err on the side of life. And I'm following my friend Michael Flake here and using the word err because Shifra and Pua are not perfect people. They're unbelievably relatable. They do this courageous thing. They, they save the lives of Hebrew boys, and then confronted by Pharaoh, what do they do? They outright lie to him. <laughs> well, the Hebrew pregnant women are so vigorous. They give birth before we can even get there. By the time we get there, those kids are already walking. You know how Hebrews are. I think it's interesting how their comment plays on Pharaoh's racism. Yeah, those Hebrews are more like animals than people. And so Pharaoh's like, well, yeah, I believe you, Shifra and Pua. That's one of the ways that racism sounds in our head if we begin to think that way. And the Bible's not encouraging us to lie here, but the Bible's being realistic. In the brokenness of this world, Shifra and Pua were not perfect, but they were imperfect in a way that saved people's lives. God is the author of life. God is the giver of life. And so God's people cherish life. This is why as a rule and throughout history and today, you will find biblical Christians, God's people, encouraging people away from euthanasia. The choice of the end of life is God's alone. It is not to be dealt with by human hands. It is why you'll see biblical Christians encouraging people away from abortion. It is why you'll see God's people serving and fighting for the good of people in poverty the quality of every life, that's pro-life. It's why you see God's people, the foundation of movements to honor the inherent worth of disabled persons. Those movements came out of Christians. It's why you see God's people advocating and showing mercy to refugees. Why you see God's people advocating for justice and equity. Because every person is created in God's image and has amazing worth, which is worth us working to enhance as part of God's story. Now, in our lives, we will face decisions, maybe not as life and death as Shifra and Pua. Our faith is formed or shown more in the day-to-day -day of how we treat people, 
in our lives, in particular those who require more grace or those who are different, most different from ourselves. And we will not be perfect people, but like Schiffer and Pua, as we make daily decisions, difficult decisions, sometimes agonizing decisions, we have to make agonizing decisions, many of us. We put God's way first, and we err on the side of life, of more of life. This is why I so admire those of you in our congregation. Some of you are here today, well, many of you. Through your generosity and through your actions, we err on the side of life as a congregation in our shared Missio Day. There are so many of you who God's, your part in God's mission is adoption, is your story. So many of you, it's foster care, which is beautiful. So many of you, it's foster to adoption. Many of you advocate vigorously pro-life for the life of the unborn, which is a beautiful part of God's mission. There are some of you who work tirelessly for better access and understanding of mental health care in order to lower rates of suicide. I'm proud of you. There are some of you who have been marching, Lake Forest people who have told me, you've been marching under the phrase, Black Lives Matter. Many of you at Lake Forest tell me that you have done this, and I believe that that's erring on the side of life, the quality of life, the protection that black lives matter to Christians and to God. Now, that's not the same thing, hear me, as signing on to the organization of that name and whatever their detailed agenda is. I haven't even gone and read that. But the phrase is a pro-life phrase, I believe, and I'm proud of those of you who are advocating for that. Because statistically speaking, black lives are more threatened at every age than any other ethnicity in our country, and therefore that's a pro-life issue in my view. So, with this being pro-life, Schiffer and Pua point us to Jesus, who is recorded to have said this in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they have, may have life and have it to the full. Why did Jesus, fully God and fully man, come to earth? He said it. So that you, 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 you may have life and have it to the full. And then we may join his mission that others may have life and have it to the full, including eternal life. Life is a quality of being. It's something God has gifted us with and called us to steward on behalf of ourselves and others. And there's a difference between being alive and living. Popular songs and literature address that theme all the time. And Jesus says the difference between those is him. Part of what it means to err on the side of life as a follower of Jesus is to point people to the hope you and I have found in Jesus, because that is where ultimate life is found, and that is our ultimate mission here as a church, is to point people to Jesus. A third thing we learn from Schiffer and Pua is that God-fearing people intervene on behalf of at-risk children part of what it means to be a God-fearer. Exodus 1 is our mandate to be pro-life, to intervene for at-risk children. And so, if the law of our land endangers certain children, or if the state of an education disserves certain children, or if the dysfunction in a specific family system threatens a child, or if the convenience of an accidental pregnancy being ended beckons, no, God-fearers intervene for at-risk children. Because red and brown, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. 
And so I'm so proud of how so many of you at Lake Forest and our collective mission as we give and serve together serves at-risk children. That's really the heart of missions here at Lake Forest Church. You think of almost all of our mission partners, safe families, foster parenting, adopting. We have several communities around that. Children's Impact Network, rescuing abused and abandoned children in Central and South America. Grace Children's Home in Kalimpong, India. We're so proud to be associated with them. Caterpillar Ministries here in our own town. Volunteering in Title I schools. So proud of you, Lake Forest. Ministry partners, how you live out the heart of God, that is, which is a pro-life heart serving and advocating for at-risk children. This is our great privilege to do it in the name of Jesus as we point to Jesus. What happened to Shifra and Pua as a result of their courage? Well, the last thing we know of them is verses 20 and 21, and this is point number four, the last one. When you do the right thing, don't be shy to expect God's blessing. Verse 20, so God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. When no one else knew, what are their names again? Shifra and Pua. When no one else knew what Shifra and Pua were doing, how courageously they were handling an ongoing, um, agonizing situation, God saw it. God saw them, and at the right time, God blessed them for what they did. Now notice, they weren't looking for a blessing, they were just doing the right thing, following God's path and leaving the rest up to God. And when you and I, by the power of the Holy Spirit, do the right thing and act with integrity, when no one else sees, God sees you. And when you have the courage to do things God's way, God sees it, even when it comes at a price, God sees it. Even when nobody else knows the price that you pay, God sees it and says, I have paid the price for your sacrificial act of courage through my son's life on the cross, and I have redeemed your life and all sacrifice you have made in my great sacrifice. Trust me, follow me, and you will be rewarded. You will be blessed in this life, but in particular, we're promised in the next. And so here's my final question for you today. Based on the example of Shifra and Pua, can you say their names one more time, everybody at home in here? Shifra and Pua, how can you better discover and live out your role in God's story? If you have questions for me about this message today, anything, you can feel free to enter that in the comments or email me and I'll address them on the podcast. We're not having a Q&A today so that we can have an orderly dismissal here in person. Let's pray. God, you're so good. We thank you that you have given us pioneers in the faith like Shifra and Pua, minor characters, strong women anchored by their faith in you and their decision to trust your word and enact it and to err on the side of life. May we do the same in our lives today. In how we act in everyday interaction, may we err on the side of life and not tearing it down for everyone in our life, everyone to whom we speak. May we join your mission of love to the world, particularly in some way, small or large, to 
rescue at-risk children through our giving here as a church, through volunteering, through advocacy, and the way you've put on our heart, each of our heart. And may this be for the good of at-risk children in our generation, for your glory, God, and for our joy. It's in your name we pray, amen.